Well, good evening. Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. Ephesians chapter 3. Continuing our series on Wednesday nights through the book of Ephesians, and then we'll head into Philippians, and then Colossians, and all of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome. That's where we left him at the end of the book of Acts, and so I thought it would be good to now study these letters that Paul was writing while he was under house arrest in Rome. Here's what I'd like to do tonight, since it's just 13 verses, is I'd like to just read the first 13 verses of Ephesians 3 and have you follow along so that we sort of get the flow and you find out exactly why Paul was writing these particular verses once we finally get to verse 13. The Ephesian Christians are very troubled about the situation that Paul is in, and he is writing this particular part of the letter, you'll notice in verse 13, so that they would not lose heart, so that they would not be discouraged, not by what was happening in their life, but by what was happening in Paul's life and by what God was allowing to happen to their leader, the one who founded the church, the Apostle Paul. So Paul writes, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, that by revelation the divine secret was made known to me, as I wrote before briefly. When reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into this secret of Christ. Now this secret was not disclosed to people in former generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, namely that through the gospel the Gentiles are fellow heirs fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. And can I say as a Gentile, amen to that. I became a servant of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of his power. To me, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan, a secret that has been hidden for ages in God who has created all things. The purpose of this enlightenment is that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. This was according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access to God because of Christ's faithfulness. For this reason, I ask you not to lose heart because of what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 1. Because Paul starts out by using this phrase that he's going to use again in verse 14. For this reason. What is motivating Paul to write these words? Well, again... He's heard that the Ephesians are discouraged because of what has happened to him in Rome. And this phrase, for this reason, takes us back to what we studied last week and builds upon it for this reason. Remember last week we learned that 
Jesus, through his blood, not only came to be the sacrifice that could bring each of us as individuals near to God so that we had access and could have a relationship and fellowship with God, but he also did all of that so that we could be fitted together with one another. You see that up there in verse 21 of chapter 2. In whom the whole building, the, the church, if you will, that Jesus is building, is joined together and we're built together and we become one together. The reason then why Paul is using that to talk about what he's talking about is because that's the way it should be in the body of Christ. That what is happening to you or what is happening to me doesn't just affect me or you. It should affect all of us, you see. That's why the Bible says when one member is rejoicing, we all should be rejoicing. When one member of the body is suffering, we all should suffer with them. It's just like in the human body. If I have a part of my body that may not be, you know, close to, to being connected to another part, but if it's out of joint, if it's hurting, it affects the rest of my, my, my whole body is affected by that one part. And so that's why Paul is saying, for this reason, I understand why you're hurting in Ephesus because of our connection to one another and what I'm going through is bothering you. And it should. But Paul says, I don't want you to lose heart. And now Paul's going to give them very good biblical reasons for even though he's going through a, a you know, terrible personal circumstance, why the Ephesian Christians should not be discouraged and losing heart about what's happening to Paul. Now, before I go on, let me say that's a challenge to all of us. Again, not that every last Christian that we know or even every last Christian that we're in a local church with can we have that kind of necessary relationship or fellowship, but we should be in some kind of relationship or fellowship with some Christians to where what happens to them affects us too. That's the way it was meant to be in the body of Jesus Christ. So the first thing Paul says is, he's reminding them before he gets to the main part of his message here on stewardship, the first thing he wants to remind them of is, guys, God is sovereign in all this. He has not lost control. He's still ruling. I haven't slipped through his fingers. Uh, it's not like What's happening to me has taken God by surprise and he didn't see it coming. And why do I say all that? Notice what Paul says right away to them. He doesn't say to them, I'm a prisoner of Caesar, Augustus. Whoever the Roman emperor was at that time, he doesn't say that at all, does he? He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In other words, this is all part of God's plan, he's trying to tell them. God has a big purpose behind this. And what Paul's trying to get them and us to see is that when you and I become part of the body of Christ, we automatically become part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves that we should never try to sort of feel like we've got a, a, a market or a handle 
on exactly what's going on and how this is affecting, because God never wants us, because first of all, we can't wrap our arms around all that God's doing. We just can't. It's too big, and that's okay. We should be okay with being part of something that great, and we're going to talk more about that next week when Paul drops to his knees and begins this wonderful prayer for the Ephesian Christians again. But he's reminding them, guys, don't lose heart. Jesus Christ has me here. I'm his prisoner first, in, in a sense. I am bound to him. I, I surrendered to him. I'm his servant. And if he wants me here, if he's got a plan and purpose for this, then so be it. If I can bring him glory while I'm in prison, good. Don't you be discouraged. But then Paul wants to begin to talk to them about God's grace. And there's three things that he says about God's grace that we'll come back to in just a little bit. But I want you to see them. In verse 2, he teaches us that God's grace is very personal. It's very personal. He says, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. We'll come back to that. In verse 7, he teaches us that God's grace is very powerful that the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of his power. And then in verse 8, God's grace is purposeful. This grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan. Now, before we talk about this stewardship of grace that Paul talks about throughout this, and this is the main thing he talks about, I want to back up a minute and I want to get a little bit of a bigger picture here because Paul also mentions in this passage another couple stewardships, if you will, that God's grace falls into one of those. The first thing is Paul reminds us that we are all stewards of God's revelation. He talks about that in verse 3. You see, God has set up his kingdom to where those who believe in him and come to follow him are automatically stewards. A steward is simply someone uh, that is managing something for someone else. It's not ours, but we have been entrusted with it to manage it and to do well by it and to do well with it. And if you recall many of the parables that Jesus gives in the Gospels, they remind us as Christ followers that you and I are going to give an account of our stewardship. How we have done or what we have done with the things that God has entrusted to us and in a sense put in our lap throughout our earthly life. And one of those things Paul reminds us of here is God's revelation. He says, do you realize that God revealed these things to me, not so that they could stay with me, but so that they, I could share them with you? And he talks a lot about this secret. It's not really a secret. It's just that Paul's reminding us again in God's plan, God's revelation is progressive. This revelation was all about the church, about Gentiles and Jews being part of the same body. Well, obviously, that wasn't necessary in the Old Testament. 
This revelation wasn't going to be rolled out by God until Jesus came because it was Jesus that was going to build his church. It was in, after Jesus rose from the dead that the church would be established. So all this revelation about the church was not necessary in the Old Testament. The Old Testament economy and how God was going to work in the Old Testament was through his chosen nation, the people of Israel. In the New Testament, that would change to the church where Jew and Gentile would be one. They would be partakers of the same body and of the same promises and all of that. So Paul is simply saying, God, as a New Testament apostle, revealed this to me. I've been entrusted with his revelation. Wow. Now listen. Sometimes God reveals things to you and I that's just for you and I. But even that is a stewardship. What am I doing with those messages that God gives me from him to me? His revelations to me, if you will. But then there are many times where what God reveals to me, he wants me to pass along or share with others. How am I doing as a steward of God's revelation? And by the way, one of the reasons why Paul, I think, is so excited that he gets to be a steward of this revelation is he realized this is something that I'm getting to share that Moses never got to talk about. Isaiah never got to talk about, Daniel never got to talk about, David never, all the great Old Testament Bible characters, they never got to teach about the church. They never got to teach about God's grace because that wasn't part of that era. And Paul's saying, wow, I get to teach something that all those great saints and prophets of old and stuff, they never got to talk about this because that wasn't part of God's plan. But now I've been given the privilege to be able to declare these things to others. What a great privilege. What a great stewardship. And so Paul here is reminding us all, and, and I want us to really apply this again personally and even as a church. What is the revelation that God is unveiling to me that he's entrusting me with. Think about that. You know, many times we, we don't think about maybe the revelation of God through his spirit or through his word that God gives us, but that is a great stewardship that God gives us. And we as Christians today should think about this also in terms of you know, passing the baton of God's revelation very accurately and faithfully to new believers and to the next generation. Just as a, you know, track team, uh, when they do the relay, they have to pass that baton and make sure that the baton doesn't get, you know, dropped so that they can continue on in the race. You and I at the Oasis Church and you and I as individuals, we have the, uh, been entrusted by God with revelation from him to pass on to new believers and to the next generation so that they have what we had, you see. So Paul talks about that. But Paul in this passage also talks about the stewardship of God's riches, verse 8. Notice, the grace that was given to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, not just the revelation of Christ, but the riches of Christ. And what I think about the riches of Christ, the unfathomable riches of Christ, Obviously, his revelation can be part of that, but it's really all of God's resources. And one of those gifts 
that is part of God's riches that he entrusts to us, that we are stewards of, is God's grace. God's grace. That's one of God's riches that he gives to us, and it is a gift. It is not something that you and I earn. By its very definition, grace is not something that we earn. It is something that God simply bestows upon us. In fact, he even mentions that in verse 7, the gift of God's grace. So, so even though the, he's using the word grace and everyone, you know, back in Paul's day knew, well, that meant something that wasn't deserved and something that I can't earn and all of that or merit, Paul's even using it in a sense in a, a, a double way of exclaiming, no, it's the gift of God's grace. But I want you to see this tonight. This is so cool what Paul says. First of all, going back to this whole concept of stewardship, he says, first of all, I have become a steward of God's grace, verse 2, that was given to me for you. Remember I said earlier, when I sort of was going down through my outline tonight, that one of the things that Paul reveals here is that when God gives us his grace, it's very personal. Think of it this way. Because you and I are all unique, first of all, creations of God, so we're not, no two of us are exactly alike, and whatever you and I are going through is not exactly what someone else is going through, and the way you and I would go through it, the way you and I would navigate it, the way you, you and I would deal with it or face it would be a little bit different than the way somebody else. So God here, through Paul, is teaching us something really cool that should be very encouraging. And that is when God gives us his grace for something, it's just for us. He fashions it. He, he makes it. Like an artist, he, he takes his grace and he literally fits it into us so that it's just for us for a particular time and situation and all of that. Very personal. Notice Paul says that. The stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And he mentions this again over in verse 13. Because what of what I am suffering for you. So now notice something here too in this. The other thing that you and I need to remember then as Christians is this. If somebody, some other Christian is going through something like say Paul was going through a real trial, he was in prison. God, we must trust, is giving that Christian, whatever they're going through at that time, the grace to deal with it. And as Paul even learned, God's grace is sufficient for them. That's part of the reason why Paul says later on to the Ephesians, you don't need to be discouraged. You don't need to lose heart because even though God's not giving you the same grace that he's giving me, because it's very personal, God's not giving you the grace to be a prisoner because you're not in prison but God's giving me the grace to be a prisoner right now, and you need to trust God that he's giving me the grace to handle the situation that I'm in so that you don't get discouraged when you hear or see the things that I'm going through, you see. That also means that you and I need to realize that 
as we listen and, and hear and observe what other Christians are going through, even though God is not going to give us the same grace, he will give us a grace to understand that God is giving them grace. Am I making sense here? Again, so that we don't get discouraged or hopeless or fall into despair or lose heart by the things that we see and hear happening in other Christians. Because now here's the deal. The Bible does teach that God will not force his grace upon us even as his followers. It is possible for us even as Christians to literally let God's grace just sort of sail on by and reject it and push it away and distance ourselves from it. And the Bible says when we do that, absolutely, we can get into a bad place quickly. We, we can become disillusioned and filled with discouragement and despair and hopelessness and all of these things that sort of put us into the tank spiritually. But it's not because God is not faithful. It's not because God did not give any of us and each of us the exact grace that we needed to manage that particular situation we were in. Because God's word teaches, God will give us the grace and it will be very personal. And it will be exactly what you and I need to manage that particular situation. And many times, like with Paul, because again, many times we as Christians, when something is happening to us, we could say, why me? But notice something else God's grace opens up our eyes to. God's grace also opens up our eyes to the bigger picture. And that's where Paul was. Paul says, I realize I'm not here because I was a terrible person and God's punishing me. I realize that God has a greater and higher and bigger purpose that maybe I can't even see, but I know this. I know that I'm in this place right now, not so much about me, but about other Christians. That God has laid me aside from my missionary work and allowed me now to be under house arrest in Rome so that I could write letters like Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians that Christians will be benefiting from, profiting from, reading, memorizing, meditating, and studying for thousands of years until Jesus comes back. So Paul's like, why would I be upset about that, you see? And God's grace gave him the ability to be able to see beyond himself. So often we think when we go through something that it's just about us and God wants his people to see, no, 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 wait a minute. You've been brought into the body of Christ. You're now connected to other Christians and other people. And so what happens to you isn't just affecting you, it's affecting others. And what is happening in and through you right now, I'm using not only in your life, but I'm using it in other people's lives too. And God's grace will help us to capture that and comprehend that and understand that so that even those of us who are going through trials and tribulations right now, so that we won't lose heart and get discouraged. And then we can become like Paul and be able to go through trials, not only not being discouraged ourselves, but encouraging others who aren't going through the same thing about being negatively affected by the things we're going through. 
And can I tell you, I'll just testify to this. As a pastor many times in 35 years as a pastor, and I'll just use one example. I could give you hundreds. One example of this. Visiting many, many, many people, Christians in the hospital, when they were laid up and on their back, whatever, there have been many times where Pastor Jeff, healthy, no complaints about the way I'm feeling, and yet I'm visiting someone that could be, you know, even to the point where obviously I've been many times, someone dying of cancer or something else, and I walk out of that hospital room and I go, well, I was more blessed by that visit than they were. They encouraged me more than I encouraged them, I'm sure, because I walked away from there and they were the one that was suffering and they were the ones that was going through it and yet they had such a testimony and such a, a, a peace and such a hope and it's like, wow, what, do I, what am I complaining about? That's what Paul's saying. That's what God's grace can do. And again, God's giving them a grace that he's not giving me, so I've just got to trust. God, thank you for giving them the grace to be able to deal with such a terrible thing that they're going through. And thank you, God, because you use them to encourage me, and I'm perfectly healthy. The second thing, and this sort of falls into it, so I don't have to spend a lot of time here because we've just sort of talked about it. In verse 7, Paul also reminds us that God's grace is powerful because that's what grace is. It is God's supernatural enablement or empowerment. He says, I became a servant of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of his power. By the way, that same power that he talked about in chapter 1, that incomparable power that is now he's bestowed upon us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of the Father in glory, that same power now is available to you and I through the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us every moment of the day. And we talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us on Sunday. Paul's saying, oh my goodness, when you and I receive the grace of God, it is truly sufficient. It is supernatural. It allows us, it allows us to navigate navigate way beyond what we could ever navigate without God's grace. And it enables us to do it with such a tremendous attitude. It just is transformative. God's grace is amazing. It is wonderful. No wonder so many people have written songs about it and we talk about it and we preach about it and we teach about it and we pray for it because there truly is nothing like the grace of God. I would encourage you, if you don't seek to live by God's grace every day, start. Because I'm telling you, your life will just take on a whole different trajectory. And here's the thing. God actually invites his people to come and receive grace. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. Then, I love this too. He says in verse 8, God's grace is not only very personal, verse 2, and very powerful, verse 7, it is very purposeful. He says, this grace was given so that I would proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan. When God gives us his grace, it's not just personal, it's not just powerful, there's a purpose for it. In other words, whatever you and I are dealing with or going through or navigating or 
any of that, that that God is giving us grace for, there's even a purpose beyond that. That's what Paul wants us to see. In other words, it doesn't stop with just the fact that God is giving Paul the grace to be a prisoner. It is more purposeful than that. It's not just, how, I guess I would say it this way. God doesn't just give us the grace to survive our circumstances, but to thrive in them and to go beyond them. See, God's grace for Paul wasn't just so that he could be there in Rome for a couple years in prison and just get himself through it. No, that while he was there, guess what? He was using that opportunity to actually teach others and preach about this revelation that he's been given, you see. And of course, we learn at the end of the book of Acts that he was given full, no one hindered Paul from receiving people into that house those couple years that he was under house arrest. Anybody that wanted to come and hear what Paul had to say could literally come in. Now they would have to sit there by the Roman guards that were guarding Paul, but anybody could come and listen to what Paul had to say. What, what a great opportunity Paul had, even though he was a prisoner. Because as the Bible says, you and I could maybe think that we're bound, but the word of God and God is never bound. And so it was very purposeful. Here's what I want us to see and be reminded of tonight. When you and I are in a situation where God is giving us grace, first of all, hopefully we will receive his grace rather than push it away. Because if we push it away, we start tanking spiritually. When we receive it, we can handle the most difficult of circumstances. Not only surviving them, but thriving in them because God gives us supernatural power way beyond what you and I could ever do on our own. And in the midst of that too, God has a purpose for why we are here in this situation, for the time that we are there, for the duration of it, and that it goes beyond us. Again, why? Because we are part of the body. Therefore, God will use what you and I are dealing with or going through, again, to touch and to reach into other people's lives, just like he did Paul. And sometimes it even goes way beyond what we can imagine. Because one of the things that Paul's going to tell the Ephesians of, again, why you shouldn't be discouraged and lose heart is he saying, guess what, guys? Again, God has us part of something so big that you and I, many times, we can't even comprehend it all or wrap our arms around it. We just got to trust that God's purpose isn't just horizontal, meaning, okay, God has a purpose beyond me and it goes out horizontally. No, notice in verse 10, it also goes vertically. Notice what Paul is teaching here. That also, as a member of the church, and that means every born-again Christian that's here tonight, you're a part of the church. Guess what one of your purposes is each and every day? Guess what the Oasis Church's purpose is each and every day and week that goes by? We, and I've said this before, we are the university for angels. We teach angels about God, things that they can't know because they don't understand salvation and grace and things like this because they never have had that perspective. So notice what Paul says. 
Not only is this purpose of, of, of this grace to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan, but then he says in verse 10, the purpose is also of this enlightenment that through the church, you and I, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. That's why later on Peter says angels actually look. They look down. It's like they're, they're so interested in what's going on because it just blows them away how God deals with us, his people, and how he has saved us and delivered us and redeemed us and, and now calls us his his friends and his children and his servants and how he dispenses his grace and how this whole prayer thing works. And all of this is foreign to the angelic creatures. And so God says, don't you realize, Christian, every day that your life is hopefully teaching angels about me and the wisdom that I have bestowed by the plan that I have set forth to save mankind and to redeem mankind and to call them to myself and to make them my servants on this earth. Don't you see, you will teach, and in fact, that's why the Bible teaches us later on in eternity that you and I as human beings, even though we think, and, and they are at this point, that angels are actually over us, the Bible teaches us that we will actually rule over the angels that the angels will actually be subordinate to us. Because see, what you and I many times sort of get discouraged about, all the trials and things that we got to go through on earth and our flesh and all this, is actually setting us up to be stronger, to understand God in a way that angels never will be able to understand them. And so we will actually have a greater uh, depth of understanding of God than even those that live in his presence all the time. Think about that. It's amazing. You know, you would think just on a human level, we couldn't teach the angels anything. They're in glory. They're in heaven. They're actually able to see God. And God is the one that says, no, no, you don't understand. You, the church, have the opportunity every day to teach the authorities and rulers in the heavenly realms about my wisdom, that I wasn't crazy when I came up with this plan, that this actually works. Not only works, it is the greatest plan anybody could have ever come up with. To take those of us, as Paul said earlier in the book of Ephesians, that was dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we have been raised into the heavenly realms with Christ. The angels are just like... The only word, you know, is gobsmacked, you know? They, they just like, wow, God. Unbelievable. But then he goes on to say this, and we'll wrap this up in just a moment. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access to God because of Christ's faithfulness. Why does he sort of end on reminding them about the access that we have to God because that's where we also find grace anytime we need it. Remember Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16? Let us confidently approach the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace whenever we need the help. God's grace, he will give us. 
But God also says, anytime you want my grace for anything and everything, you just approach my throne. My throne is characterized as a throne of grace. And you will find the help you need if you and I just humble ourselves and approach God's throne. And so he's saying, you realize that we can have God's grace anytime we want it, anytime we need it. All we have to do is ask for it. God won't force it on us, but we can also ask him for it too. Not only waiting for him to give it to us. So that's why then Paul says, I'm writing all this because I've heard you're discouraged over there in Ephesus. I don't want you to be discouraged. I mean, yeah, if, if it was up to me, I, I probably wouldn't have chosen to be in prison right now in Rome. But I want, you to, I want to tell you, God is using this. He is touching people's lives through my imprisonment. And he's allowing me time to write letters that maybe God even gave him insight. We don't know. But he's given me time to write letters that the church will benefit and profit from for thousands of years until Jesus comes back. How can I complain about that, Paul says? And why should you be so downcast? Don't you see the bigger picture here? You in Ephesus, you are now stewards of God's grace. Don't push it away. Receive it. It will be very personal for you. It will be very powerful for you. And it will be very purposeful for you. And you now then will be able to look at me and hear about the things that are happening to me. And instead of being discouraged and losing heart, you will begin to trust God that God has a greater and bigger plan than you and I could ever figure out on our own. And we just got to rest expectantly in our God. I loved all the songs that we sang during worship tonight, but the one that really spoke to my heart was the very last one, Yield My Heart. You know why that spoke to me, especially I think with this message on my heart? Was because the heart, that's the place of our dreams. That's the place of our passions and our desires and all of that. That comes out of our heart. And that song is saying, you're my king. I'm going to yield my heart to you. All of my dreams, all my passions, all my desires, all my wants, everything. I'm going to yield it to you, God. Because that really is the only way to really live. Otherwise, we get to a bad place as a Christian. Instead of being a prisoner and in a sense rejoicing over that and seeing it from a whole different perspective and bad angle because Paul had already yielded his heart to his king and said, God, your life is mine. It's no longer about what I want and my desires and my passions and, 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 you know, it's about you, God. And if you want me in prison in Rome, if that's what will bring you glory, if that's what will strengthen your church, if that's what you can use to touch other people's lives, to encourage them in some way, then so be it, God, because I have yielded my heart to you. I think that's what God wants. He wants to get all of us to that point really every day where it's like, God, it's not about me. 
It's about so much more than me and it's so much bigger than me. And God, if you choose for me to go through this season of life where I've got to deal with this or navigate this or whatever, then just give me the grace and help me to receive the grace that can bring you glory. And that's what Paul's heart was all about here. He was receiving God's grace, so he was fine. He was in a good place even though he was in prison. But he was trying, even while in that situation, to encourage his brothers and sisters in Ephesus because at this moment while he's writing this, they weren't in a good place. And he's like, there's no reason why you should feel that way because it's all good because I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And there's a bigger, there's bigger stuff going on here than what you guys can see over there in Ephesus. Rest expectantly in your God. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight that all of us could sing that song to you, even as we lay our head on the pillow tonight. I yield my heart to you. All my dreams, all my desires, all my plans, everything, God, I yield it to you. Because, God, I trust you enough that whatever you call me to go through, whatever you ask me to do, you will always give me the very personalized, powerful, and purposeful grace to be able to deal with it. And God, not only deal with it, but in the midst of it, even while I'm going through it, you'll give me the ability and the capacity supernaturally to be able to encourage others and strengthen others, even when they're not going through what I'm going through. No wonder when we live that way, we can teach the angels something. Because you are an amazing God. And only you, God, were wise enough to be able to come up with such a plan for us. Thank you, God, for including us in such an amazing plan. And a plan that doesn't just include our time on this earth now, but a plan that is fit for all of eternity. God, I just can't wait because as a child of yours, we can always trust that the best for all of us is yet to come. God, take us home tonight safely, especially with the storms out there around the valley. And Lord, even now, begin to prepare us to come Sunday and just come into this house of worship and just have that heart of worship already to where we can't wait to get into this auditorium and be with our brothers and sisters in Christ and begin to praise you and worship you and bless you and adore you and exalt you. Because God, on Sunday, we're going to talk about the wonders of your love. God, thank you for loving us so very much. Take us home, God, with your blessing and favor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.